Crystal Myth Podcast with my good friends Mark and Yasmin. Good day. Good day. Good day, mate. Good day, mate. Yeah. Well, they must say good day all the time. I didn't actually ask Nicola to say things like that. So. But then she doesn't, my friend Nicola, who lives in Melbourne, she doesn't um, tend to mix a lot with Australians. She said that, that when she speaks to actual Australians, all they do is want to know where she's from and, you know, her accent and why she's there. And it's like an interrogation. She's like, you're not just, you know, see me for a person and not. For, like the third degree so she hangs around my expats mostly i feel like yeah. anyone that moves to somewhere else ends up hanging out with other expats rather than the people of that place like all my friends in london are not from london at all but i think london is their shit, so big big <laughs> cities like london and melbourne are pretty multicultural and most of them are people from all over the world so i guess then there's not really that sort of just I don't know, close knit. Bun- I mean, it's not like all the, like, do the, all the cockneys hang out together. I don't know. It's more like the people that are like from there already have like their own established groups and families and groups of friends. So they're not really that interested in like new people coming in. So it's more like all the new people make friends with each other. Like that's what I found in London anyway. I imagine Australia is quite similar. Then my cousin lives in New Zealand and she says the same that all her friends are just other Egyptians that have moved there like they don't really like hang out with other New Zealand people all right but, yeah. yeah I suppose that makes like I've never really thought about it that way before but yeah you saying that makes sense like why would people go out of their way to make friends with you when they'll already have like pre-established friends yeah they already have friends yeah they're like like they'll be nice enough but they won't like let you into like, inner circle yeah I suppose I mean again, a lot of you London. when you went to London a lot of your friends were also Scottish that came down from Glasgow as well so you had that little community of friends I'm playing some didgeridoo music but <laughs> 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 I just set the theme because we're talking about okay. Australia. I can't do an Australian accent. I really can. It's really difficult. Um, I had one of the hardest accents yeah. to do, I think. Oh, yeah. I don't I know like if there's any... Yeah, like it's not. I mean, I hate it when people try and like impersonate Scottish accents badly. Like Gerard yeah, Butler. I just heard Jamaican or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, right. Australia's like a massive place you could fit several countries inside it probably fit britain in it several times over and most of australia as far as i know is populated around the coastline because the middle of australia is just so uninhabitable because it's like mostly all it's pretty much all bush area bush area um (laughs) have you been i've never been my sister went she went for work 
when she worked for a, a travel company and they basically took a few teams over there to experience the hotels and the itineraries that they were selling. Um, oh. So Lucky Hearts got to go on an all-expenses trip to Australia. That's Hart- amazing. Yeah. So she actually went even to work just to experience what a holiday's like there. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they took her. They took her on the Great Barrier Reef. She got to cuddle oh, koalas, you know, all that stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I'd love to go, but I just, it's just far. Yeah, and it's, I, I will, I, I don't know. It's never really been one of my top priorities to go to Australia. It just seems so remote. But then I really want to go to Japan, and that's just sort of like in the general area across the yeah. world as well. I think I'd love to go because it's so remote, and especially. One of the things that I was looking at where that story is supposed to have happened, like when I was reading up on it, there was obviously pictures of it, and it's just insanely... It doesn't even look real. It's just so beautiful. And, yeah, I quite like the idea of going to the bits that are, as you say, like massively uninhabited as well. Yeah, Yeah, there's, like, towns where it's occupied by just, like, two people (laughs) or three. Um, And then there's, like, children that don't go to school because they're just... It would just take them a day to get there so they all just they all just get educated over wi-fi oh like zoom ones like yeah yeah just the teacher teaches them over the internet and then before those days they would i think they use radio or something like that to teach them if um, i've learned anything from this year those children will be unfathomably stupid and they'll never I they've probably been doing it for a while and like have figured out how to do it properly oh, I was like, actually I, talking I, to I, this afternoon about his like being back in lockdown and trying to he was agreeing with me to be fair trying to teach kids online and I was saying when we came back after the last lockdown and I kind of did a little sort of pop quiz of the most straightforward stuff we'd done and two kids out of my entire class knew what I was talking about and I was like guys like I taught all of you this online and they were like yeah it's really hard to learn online (laughs) so yeah I I don't see those kids being bright (laughs) yeah but maybe that's what they've grown up that way so that's all they know and that's the only way that they can learn so they'll probably would concentrate more than the lazy fucks over here that are just (laughs) sitting on their xbox or something probably put you on mute mark i think if you were very like naturally academic you'd probably be fine but i think most people are naturally academic so whether we're not talking about australian mythology at all yeah we don't know them (laughs) they might just like you know like they live in these little remote towns they might want to to leave or maybe or do you think they're just destined to just stay there and take over like whatever ranch or whatever farm they've got going where they are like i think if you were in that situation and you had the drive to leave then you probably would like really push yourself to mm-hmm. online and like succeed and get away but i think if you were just mm-hmm. a normal everyday person also, then they won't see a lot of people so anyone who comes from outside the town like they have like doctors that fly in because they need medical care and they need dentists and they also have like psychologists come in and they do everything. So they come in like certain times of the week or month, I don't know. And they set up like the whole community comes out and feeds them and they'll have like a, a, a like a sort of nice party because they don't really see these people much because they're so remote. That's like a really good advert for Australia as well, isn't it? The, yeah. The therapists that come in because if you think mm-hmm. like even where I'm now, which isn't that remote in the grand scheme of things, 
like mental health is terrible in smallish mm. places in Scotland. Never mind places that have like a population of three. Yeah. So that uh, yeah, that's good. They probably get more therapy than that than we do. Like that's a good point. What you're saying. I mean, I have to go on a fucking waiting list for a year, and I'm lucky if I get to even see anyone on the NHS. Whereas you know they get it all given to them. Yeah. So that's great. But it must be hard living there. Yeah, I think it would be so interesting to visit there, but you wouldn't want to wouldn't live, live there for your entire yeah. life. I mean, that's coming from us city folk. Like maybe that it might be lovely, but it must be incredibly hot. Like the humidity yeah. and things like that at certain times of the year where you just don't want to leave the house like I was talking to my friend Nicola and she said sometimes the heat is too much and I just have to stay inside and then when she yeah, was first little... over there she said that you know it it was like 12 degrees or something and the she didn't have a jacket on that because she's used to because over here that's quite hot <laughs> that's quite warm and whereas, whereas the people she was with like in Australia were like are you not freezing she's like no what? <laughs> yeah, so she's acclimatised now to it. Because over there it's summertime, whereas where I am it's like frosty as fuck outside. <laughs> it's bizarre. Insanely cold and icy today. Yeah, I'm scared to go outside because I might slip and fall on Mars, like all my friends have done. Oh, I went out for a wee walk, but yeah. You didn't fall, did you? <laughs> no, but down the stairs to the house, I was like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Yeah, you've got stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to get out of the house and get fresh air. Yeah, I'll need to go try and go out for a walk tomorrow. But yeah, right. Well, Australia, it's Australia as a continent. I mean, they found dinosaur bones and stuff. Like, where, I guess it was part of Pangaea at one point, and maybe just broke off. Yeah, went to do its own thing. And you know, like they say, oh well, Australia was discovered by like Captain Cook. He wasn't even a captain then; he was a lieutenant or something bullshit and um well i'm sorry white people didn't discover australia there there were people already there you know the aboriginal people they but must have found they, it <laughs> how did they get there that's the same as like uh what's his face like discovering america and you're like no you didn't you invaded it <laughs> aboriginal culture is the is it the second oldest uh, oh, culture in the world so yeah. the first people that managed to travel out of Africa or sail out of Africa. The uh, first place they went and settled was Australia, and that's obviously where, like, Aboriginal people come from. So, yeah, Captain... Yeah, and they're, like, amazing trackers. They know how to to live in the land. They can live within the bushlands. I think I learned that there's so many different tribes of Aboriginal people, and they all have their own, like, cultures and languages and different accents and stuff they they have their own different ways of living so i I mean a country that big you would expect that you wouldn't expect them all to just be the same and then they know how to find water underground they know where to look they know where to follow the animals and i suppose if you've lived there for that long then you would learn eventually how to survive in that harsh sort of environment yeah it sounds pretty cool but but they've been treated appallingly (laughs) absolutely appallingly I think when, like, when you look at or when was Australia discovered, it's basically all when white people showed up. Yeah. Um, but it seems to me like sort of late and it's 1600s, still... 1700s, and then they started shipping off all the convicts to there as well, and just infesting yeah. these horrible white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, would you rather, though, be executed or sent to Australia? You might <laughs> not survive the journey Australia. over. 
But as like an indigenous Australian Aborigine, I'd be like, what the fuck? How can you just dump your people here? Like you're bringing over all your rapists and criminals and murderers yeah. and just dumping them on my land. And also yeah. they're bringing in like, animals that don't that yeah. don't belong in Australia. They're bringing in plants that don't belong in Australia. That had a big impact on like the, the environment. Like they brought in rabbits and then they fucking bred like rabbits and totally decimated the land. And to the point where they had to invent a disease just to kill off the rabbits because they were just everywhere. It just came and ruined the country, basically, is what they came and did. And it was probably like perfect ecosystems. And it's still technically a colony of Britain, is it not? It is, actually, yeah. Like the Queen's still the head. The Queen's still their queen. Yeah, and they've got the British flag on their their flag. And you know how I about people that aren't British that demand to remain under the rule of the Queen. I think there was one Prime Minister, well, potential Prime Minister of Australia that wanted to try and get rid of the Queen as Head of State. But then, I'm just quoting the Crown here, I don't know if that's true, that then <laughs> Prince Charles and Diana came over just after they were married and and apparently that saved the monarchy in Australia because she was so popular. Right. <laughs> yeah. so I feel like people abroad like the royal family more than anyone here gives a shit about I don't no, I mean, there's a lot of people here that really give a shit about the yeah, I mean, there's a lot like you're, you're only speaking to good people, yes. <laughs> you want to speak to some stupid fucks. <laughs> I think the majority of people in Scotland hate the royal family. Yeah. But like there are nutters um that that queue outside the hospital with bizarre dolls. Oh, the the worst one was <laughs> this guy dressed fully head to toe in Union Jack shit with like oh badges everywhere and then when Meghan Markle was having her baby he brought out a black baby dressed up in a crown and stuff I was like you fucking weirdo I do like Meghan and Harry though I don't know if I had my own country and they came to visit it if I would then sign my country over to the Queen but I do quite like them well, like, they I seem think- like they'd be fun in a night out Megan and Harry are cool. Like they just thought, no, I'm break. Well, Harry quite rightly thought, fuck this shit. My uncle's a nonce, and uh, the media are going to try and kill my wife. So I think I'll, or my granddad might kill my wife. I don't know. And uh, I'll just, I think I better get out of here. And then Will's is um, and Kate are just carrying on their bullshit. Like there's pictures of them getting lifted by <laughs> tribes people somewhere in Africa oh, in seats. It's the most colonial white I've ever seen in my life. It's terrible. If I was Will's, I, that does not look good. I would be like, no, no, it's okay. I'm not going to sit on these chairs and you lift me up. It doesn't look good. I know you're trying to be like really nice offensive. and all, but... Oh, <laughs> But no, they were la- like they were smiling and they were absolutely loving it. Of course they were. Yeah, the closest we can get to like being treated like a king. <laughs> yeah, they they look the type that would enjoy being carried around everywhere by black people against their will. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like that might have quite a lot to do with their ancestry. Oh yeah. God. <laughs> well, speaking of that, let's talk about the <laughs> Aboriginal people of Australia is I don't I never really looked into it but where does the word Aboriginal come from did you find that out Mark or is it just a word that is it their word or is it our word for them good question I have absolutely no idea yeah I never really thought about it no 
I've got a piece of Aboriginal art that from the gift shop that my sister brought back from Australia because I said to her, she's like, what do you want from Australia? And I was like, oh, I would like a piece of Aboriginal art, please. And she brought back, it was like a fabric thing that had been painted and they used dots. So they paint oh. with dots and it was all barramundi and little guys and fish. It was really colourful, but it just it makes me laugh because it says genuine, authentic Aboriginal art on the, on the oh. item. <laughs> but it looks like something you would get at a gift shop, you know. <laughs> so if it's painted with dots, then it's Dreamtime yeah. art. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. Right. So, in fact, do you, want to, do you want to explain what Dreamtime is? No, I'd rather do that. And then I can tell you how that relates to your art because I know you looked at dream time well all i know is that dream time isn't really a time zone it's like what was there before and what will be after the earth or something like that it's it exists it exists out of time is it not, uh, so not something about it's yeah it's almost like a state or a time but everything in it is used to then explain different mythology things because there's all these yeah. different creatures that live yeah. different parts of the world so the dream time is still the world and it maybe they can tune into the dream time. Yeah, there there are creatures yeah. and and things that live in the dream time that they can Is connect they to. Or is that do their ancestors live in the dream time? I'm not sure about that. That's what like, well, the sort of story thing that I'm going to tell is to do with their ancestors in the dream time. But yeah, when I was thinking about it, I, I kind of got that impression as well. It's a bit like I feel like I say everything in this podcast is a bit like that time I talked about the Axis Monday. But it reminded me of that. It's like a, a reality that exists alongside ours but it's different from ours but I liked that instead of like slipping sort of sideways into it it's up the way so mm. everything I was reading that was describing it it's like almost like yeah it exists outside of our time it exists outside of our reality but it is like accessible but it's rather than I, think yeah. I read somewhere it's like cylindrical up like vertically so like if you imagine a big cylinder that was going up that's what the dream time is like so it's hard to describe into it, then you yeah, walk really. through it. What was that, yes? I was I just found it really confusing. That was something I was sitting reading about. I just couldn't really understand it at all. I'm but then gonna... I got a bit mad because if yeah. you ever, did you ever watch the Dark Crystal on Netflix, the, the series? So I upsetting. Mean, it it like, got cancelled, unfortunately, but I found it very upsetting to watch because I mean, I know it's for kids and stuff, but oh my god, it's it, there's some disturbing shit. So I watched I that really... when I was really young and I remember Yeah, yeah I remember they're like draining the wee guys for their essence yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's like... It's and they're worse. so cute and it's so horrible. It's oh. worse than the Gelflins. Uh, well, they, the Gelflins <clears> have something where they they hold on each other's hands and they call it dream time and I'm like, hang on a second, did they steal that from the Aboriginals? <laughs> <laughs> where they all like sort of connect mentally. <clears throat> and share oh. each other's experiences. Well, the the painting that you've got, mm-hmm. so dream time painting, supposed to be you sharing your experience of being in the dream time. Because the reason it's called dream time is that like you can see into the dream time reality when you sleep. So if oh. you, you see in your dreams, you're painting something that exists in the dream time. Oh. Right. So. Any of that, like authentic Aboriginal art, if, if my understanding of it's correct, like when an Aboriginal artist is painting that, what they're actually doing is showing you 
what they've seen when they access Dreamtime while asleep. So that one was about Baramundi, whatever yeah, that is? That I don't think the idea, again, if I understand it correctly, is that, like, if that makes sense, it's not that that's what they dream when they're in Dreamtime, it's that when they have, like, a sort of outer body experience and go to Dreamtime when they're asleep, and they saw Baramundi there. Okay. So, sh- shall I tell them a little um, yeah. Dreamtime people story? Yeah. So, one of the stories that when you suggested we do this, I said that I was going to look at anyway because I already knew this bit of the story and I found it really interesting. Um, is from the Arunta, sorry, Arunta tribe, um, who are a group of Aboriginal people, and they have this not really a deity, but they have this like story of a being that exists in the dream time called Karura, which is K A R O R A, so like three separate. They believed that Karura lived in the dream time and continues to live in the dream time, and when Karo Ra slept, because he already lived in the dream time, anything that he dreamed while sleeping would then come into existence in the dream time. So he was basically able to to make things that had never existed before, but he had no control over what he was making. Wow. So they believed so that cool. one really? of the few stories about him is that they believed that uh, one day when he was sleeping, he created an hold on, I can't say this properly, Tat and Ja, which is like a, a being that looks like a gigantic stick and it likes when he's asleep to like rest on his forehead and it goes so high into the sky that you can't see the top of it, but it's not actually a stick, it just resembles one, it's like a living being. That sounds so, absolutely terrifying to me. Yeah. yeah you know, you know how I feel really about cute. really tall thin things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's supposed to be like a peaceful being, as is uh, Carol Ra. Like, both of these things are supposed to be, like, not necessarily kind. They don't, they, like, none of the stories seem to be them doing anything to help anybody. They're just... They're just like, there. They're yeah. They're not malicious or anything. They're just kind of there. Yeah, they just exist and they're all right. So did uh, this being create... Uh, sorry if I'm jumping the gun here, but did they create mankind then? accidentally yeah, so, or from his dreams he didn't do it deliberately like you know an ego god would so in one of his dreams he uh, dreamt of bandicoots before bandicoots existed and then when he are they real up, i thought that was just a computer game no bandicoots are real so when carola like uh, uh, specifically says all around his armpits and um, <laughs> there were bandicoots everywhere and then they got up and they ran away but he hunted them down. He hunted two of them and cooked and ate them with Tanata Ja and thought they were delicious and that like basically stopped his hunger. And then later on, when he slept again after, and it was like a really peaceful sleep because he'd had a meal, he awoke again and he found a bull roarer. Like, you know, the, the Aboriginal instrument? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's got the kind of string on they, either they side They swing it round, yeah. yeah. Makes a noise. So... He awoke and a bull roarer was under his armpit and it was the first bull roarer that had ever existed and he played music with it and as he did, it turned into the first man. I assume because that was part of his dream was that it could turn back and forth between them. So it turned into the first man and he called this man his son. Karura and his son would hunt bandicoots during the day and then at night they would cook the bandicoots and eat them and then Karura would sleep and Tanata Ja would sleep on his head and his son would be there sleeping as well. And then as time went on, he dreamt of two other sons and he awoke to find them both there, him and his 
three sons would go out and they would hunt the bandicoots. And then one day there was a sudden rush of honey through the land. Yeah. This sort of like wave of honey, it caught all the bandicoots up in it and they got swept down because, again, like the way you access the dream time other than to go to sleep, but if you want to physically access it, you have to go up the way. So the the honey came and it swept over all the bandicoots and they all got washed down the way through the like almost hole into our reality. So that's how bandicoots got onto Earth. And when that happened, there was no food for Carol Ra's sons to eat. And that was fine for Carol Ra, but not for his sons. And as he as he slept, he worried about it. And when he dreamt of being worried of his sons, every time he would wake up and there would be more and more sons because he would dream Oh, God. So, <laughs> then did these sons get put into Earth then? Yeah, so eventually the dream time started to become overrun by Carol Ra's sons. But they were all starving because there was nothing for them to eat. And one of his sons tried to hunt down a wallaby. And at this point, there were no wallabies on the earth. Wallabies are dreamtime creatures. So there's a belief as well that all wallabies actually are like these dreamtime beings. They're almost like cryptids. Because he injured one of the wallabies and he'd hurt a dreamtime creature. And it hadn't been dreamt into existence by Karo Ra. Just like Karo Ra, they already lived there. They were like residents of the dreamtime. So the dreamtime itself became annoyed with humanity and there was a great flood of like an even bigger flood of honey than the last time and this big flood of honey swept everything out of the dream time other than Karo Ra um, so every other being that was in the dream time was all carried down through this sort of draining hole if you want and they all went down this drain to a sacred place called Diang which is on earth so that's how they believe that all humans and all wallabies ended up on Earth. Huh. This is a bit like mm-hmm. Adam and Eve like though, whereas like everyone was like living in heaven and Adam and Eve were like chilling there and then they upset God and he cast them down to Earth. Yeah, well, there's other bits of the story and well not other bits of the story, but like uh, obviously we were saying earlier, Leslie, that we've kind of looked at different Australian cryptids and I tried to look at ones that relate to the story of Karo Ra or the Arunta like religious beliefs. Um, yeah. yeah, Yaz, when I was looking at the other ones, like quite a few of the bits of the stories are really, really similar to the whole Garden of Eden story. Like there just seems mm. to be stuff that kind of ties into that. Well, what are the creatures that specifically what you mentioned just live in the Dreamtime place? There's, It's called the Dirrawong and it, it just looks like a dinosaur with like horse hooves. <laughs> <laughs> with like a pat, it's got like a sort of leopard print pattern on it as well. Um, yeah, definitely looks like a sort of, you know, one of those brontosaurus things, or not one, one of the predators, just one of the the vegetable eating dinosaurs. But it's got, you know, how dinosaurs tend to have little arms. Yeah. The front this doesn't. This has like four legs with hooves, like a horse. Ah, uh, but it has a tail of a lizard. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds cute. So it's called, well, it, it's a dreamtime creature and the Dirrawong is considered, it's called a goanna, which is an Australian monitor. Oh, right. So it's a monitor lizard. So I thought it was a dinosaur. Um, it's a creator being that departed knowledge and protection to the Bund Jalun nation comprised of 15 Aboriginal tribes. The Bund Jalun believed that the Dirrawong shared with them the knowledge of medicine, bush foods, astronomy, law, cultural traditions such as dance and 
dances, headgear, body designs and songs. Uh, the Dirawang, Dirawang sorry, is supposed to resemble a Megalania prisca, a 7 to 10 metre long goanna that went extinct around 40,000 years ago. In addition to teaching the Bindulun how to live and survive, it's eternally engaged in a battle with the creator being known as the Rainbow Snake. The Dirawang once engaged in an epic battle with the Rainbow Snake when it had misbehaved. The resulting struggle resulted in the creation of parts of the Richmond River, Snake Island and Pelican Island. At the end of the struggle, the Rainbow Snake made it to the ocean and became an island, supposedly New Zealand. When the Dirawang caught up with the Rainbow Snake, he laid down facing the sea to guard against its return. The Goanna headland at Evans Head New South Wales is believed to be the Dirrawong's physical body. The Dirrawong is also believed to be associated with rain. In the Goanna headland, there is a rain cave where the elders of the Bunjalun nation used to go and conduct ceremonies for rain. The Dirrawong continues to this day to be an important influence to the Bunjalun people. In 1985, 16 hectares of the Goanna headland became the first Aboriginal land grant in New South Wales. Yeah, that's it. That's a legend. So I think that maybe started off what the sort of rivalry between Australia and New Zealand because the Dirrawong is basically Australia protecting against, like, guarding against the, the rainbow snake, which is now New Zealand. I really want the Dirrawong to be on uh, the next series of um, Strictly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're not Dirrawong dance moves. It's funny because it does look like a little monitor, but with elegant horse legs. So I think it probably could dance quite well. <laughs> uh, quite another wee related story about the rainbow snake's cousin. Mm-hmm. So the rainbow snake had a cousin oh. in the Dreamtime uh, called Bobby Bobby. And <laughs> I love that. Bobby Bobby. So happy. And obviously when all the creatures were washed out by the honey, Bobby Bobby was one of the creatures that were washed out. However, Bobby Bobby is also a gigantic snake, but he can fly, basically. He can, like, swim through the sky, which means that it was easy enough for Bobby Bobby to (laughs) to come in and out of it. Because Bobby Bobby was still going in and out of the Dreamtime, he could still use Dreamtime powers. And when all all humanity was washed down to Earth, he felt bad for them because, obviously, he didn't want them eating the wallabies because they're also Dreamtime creatures. So... (laughs) brought into existence flying foxes as a food source for humans to eat. And as a food source? Yeah. Are they not cute? Like, I mean, <laughs> have you ever seen a sheep? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean, they kind of look ugly, so it's okay. Oh, I love sheep. Um, and I was just talking about how like I love lambs and how cute they are, but they are incredibly tasty, so there's that. It's a shame. What I quite liked reading through these stories is I like that there's like creatures that are almost like soulless and creatures that aren't. So like it's not okay to kill a human because we're like the sons of a dream time being and it's not okay to kill wallabies because they're from the dream time but it's okay to kill flying boxes and eat them because they were created as a food source for humans. Right, okay. Yeah, get that. Bobby Bobby made the flying foxes, right, and then they're flying about. And then he said... <laughs> flying about willy-nilly, like, all over the place. Well, he <laughs> says to people on the earth, like, I've, I've created this, this your livestock. Like, I wanted to help you. And all the people on the earth are like, oh, thanks, Bobby Bobby, that's really kind. Oh. But 
actually reach them because we can't fly. So, which again has like Garden of Eden vibes. So, well, Bobby Bobby's asleep. He gets one of the other Dreamtime beings to cut out one of his ribs. And then he takes the rib back down to the earth and he gives it to a human and he makes the rib multiply. And these ribs are like the perfect oh. boomerangs. Oh. And that's oh, where I thought you were going to say the same problem or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've also, then I looked oh, into well, that's that. Really that's really cool. Where women come from as well. But, that's really cool. But, I love that story about the boomerangs. And so that makes sense. So, because they, they can throw the boomerangs at the flying foxes to get yeah, them down. Yeah, so knock them out the sky. Yeah. But then I kind of I enjoy the story of Bobby Bobby because I feel like he's just a bit of a. Like, so he makes them and they're like, we can't get them, Bobby Bobby. So then the human starts throwing the boomerangs up into the sky and knocking the flying foxes out. But to Bobby Bobby's great distress, uh, so death has never existed before. And which again is like the story of Eden. Obviously, there's the whole like death and pains never existed before. But one of the boomerangs comes back down to earth and it misses the flying fox and it lands smack in between the heads of two guys and they both fall to the ground dead. And Bobby Bobby accidentally invented human death. Oh, poor Bobby Bobby. He was just trying to help. But... He seems like a bumbling sort of creature that is is like sort of helpful, but it creates problems as a result of those solutions. Yeah, he's like a, a giant <laughs> sky snake, Mr. Bean. He's like a sort of, yeah, Mr. Bean or Jar Jar Binks <laughs> or Jack of sort of thing. <laughs> 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 Oh, oh, he's my favourite character so far. Yeah, <laughs> I love him. favourite. Hey, Bobby Bobby. <laughs> On your question of like, where did women come from? I have another. Um, I have another. Uh, Dreamtime being the world's sons, like, right? So there must be daughters at some point. <laughs> so there's there's a character called Bariana. So Bariana washed down during the Dreamtime as well, and Bariana was a Dreamtime being like similar to a human, and he has a magic spear. And he can use his magic spear to carve anything. He lives amongst the humans. And then at one point, one of the sons of Karora comes to him and explains that he and the other son of Karora have been having a sexual relationship and his boyfriend is now pregnant, but they don't know what to do because there's no way for the baby to get out of his boyfriend's body. <laughs> oh so my God. Barry Ann says, don't worry about it. He whips out his magic spear and he uses it with his transformative spear powers to perform history's first gender reassignment surgery. Um, oh my God. Wow. Pregnant guy out of the couple. He basically uh, turns him into the first ever woman. He transforms his genitals from a penis and testicles into a vagina. And um, <laughs> power that then means that he becomes a she. And she's then able to give birth to the couple's baby. And then any other of the sons of Karura who want to be mothers as well and realise the, the joy of this, they come to see Bariana and ask him to use his magic speed on them so that they too can have a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> are then any of the babies, are any of the babies women then? Yeah, some of the babies are uh, girls, some of the babies are boys, but all of the beings that were swept down from the dream time, men, uh, they were yeah. all men, which I kind of like as well, because it's like, oh, everyone in the dream time was a bit shit, and they were all swept down to earth, and then some of the ones that are more sound got to be women. <laughs> You're lucky. 
I mean, I like that they got to just decide, like, oh, I fancy doing a bit of that. Um, can I be a woman, please? And he's like, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and there's no... Your wish is granted. <laughs> yeah, and there's no, like, bullshit about that. Like, oh, God, I can't be, be doing with these trans people. <laughs> just like, you know, they're just, like, brilliant. We've got more Sheila's. I'd quite like it if, like, when one of these, like, right-wing American fuckwits is on TV, right, and, like, you cannot change your gender! If, like... <laughs> The, the being of Dreamtime, Barry Anna came out with his magic spear and was like, no, you can't use my magic spear, it's fine. Like, you're whatever gender you are internally, I will use my spear to sort you outside. Right, it's just so simple. Like, I, I, really, I think that's like one of my favourite, honestly, of all the religious mythology creation stories, that's like my favourite one. I absolutely love it. It's just like, it's not like the, the person did it on purpose. Like, he just dreamt about, he didn't even say, like, oh, I want a son. He just dreamt about things. And then he was like, oh, I quite like the look of you. I'll just say, well, you're my, you're my son then. Yeah. Uh, not that, oh, I'm so egotistical. I'm going to make someone in my likeness and I'm going to order them about and they have to worship me and stuff. The guy was just like chilling in his own world and just like, eh, this has happened now. Okay, let's <laughs> just go along with it. <laughs> also, I have this like nice image in my head of his sons like running about playing and the gigantic like being that's so tall you can't even see its head. Arinta, that's kind of like their uncle, isn't it? Yeah. Why is it so obsessed with like lying on his head all the time though? Yeah, I like theories now that has no explanation. Just like every time he sleeps, his pal just like jumps on his head. And it's really like when you're already so tall, what difference does it make if you're standing on something or not? Bizarre, I love it. So, so you yeah. looked at a couple other uh, like cryptids that may or may not be from the dream time as well, didn't you, Leslie? Yeah, so there's other stuff like, well, there's ones that, there's one called the Drop Bear, which was just made up by Australians to piss off, like to scare tourists and backpackers. So the Drop Bear is essentially just a, a mad rabid koala that attacks people at night by just dropping from the trees. That's why it's called a drop bear. And koalas aren't actually bears or marsupials, but um, they're like giant carnivorous koalas. They're said to live in the tops of eucalyptus and gum trees and hunt by dropping from trees onto the heads of their victims, knocking them unconscious and then devouring them. They're equipped with sharp teeth and razor-like claws. They don't have enough creepy, crawly, scary crap that they need to like invent more of them. Yeah, I don't worry. Yes, they don't actually exist unless the guy in the <laughs> no. dream time dreamt, dreamt of them and they suddenly appeared. Uh, really? It's said that they prefer to hunt at night. They're not afraid of attacking creatures that are much larger than them. Uh, children are frequently told stories of the deadly koala cousins and how they should avoid them. There's some utterly absurd methods of deterring them like spreading toothpaste or Vegemite on your face and your neck. Ah. <laughs> What? <laughs> well, the best method of protecting oneself from a drop bear attack is to hold a screwdriver above one's head, because oh because if a drop bear attacks, it will accidentally impale itself on the tool. Oh my god, that's horrific! That's just... So there's weird people walking around with screwdrivers in their head. Well, if you're going to be that gullible, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Uh, there's the bunyip, which is one of the more famous ones, monsters of Australia. And it's a creature that apparently lives in or near bodies of water, such as creeks, pools, or billabongs. Uh, there are supposedly as many as nine regional variations of bunyip scattered about 
Aboriginal Australia because it's so widely known in so many different cultures. There's no real consensus concerning what a bunyip looks like, but some common characteristic includes tusk, flippers, and a horse-like tail, and some of them have like the face of a dog. It's believed they come out at night to feast on animals, young children, and women. What? That like no men? Yeah. <laughs> it supposedly makes a loud bellow when approached. It's sometimes argued that they harbour supernatural powers. Originally, they were punishing spirits derived from the Aboriginal dream time. Oh, there you go, dream time creature. But today, they have been toned down and are included in literature for children and even make appearances in television commercials. There's a long list of supposed sightings of bunyips. Some of the most recent and concentrated sightings were during the 1930s in the midst of the Depression. One possible theory for the existence of the bunyip is that they are Diprototon, which were extinct about 20,000 years ago. But I like to think they're one of the creatures that um, fell out from, you know, the dream time. And it's yeah. just a it piss off. like Nessie. Like it's their version of the Loch Ness Monster. Well, no, the version of the Loch Ness Monster in Australia is the Hawkesbury River Monster. Mm. And, and there's a picture that I'll post on our page where someone took a picture of this supposed monster and it looks like a fucking massive dark tadpole swimming about <laughs> in this river in New South Wales. Maybe all of, not just all of these cryptids, but just all cryptids are all from the dream time. Like maybe when there was the big honey flood, like all yeah. cryptids down to there. Well, yeah, I mean, you did say that, that it, it basically ejected a lot of them, and I felt a bit sorry for them because it's not their fault that, you know, the human mm. guy killed one of the wallabies. Why should they? That's probably why they're all pissed off and attacking people, because they're like, mm. well, I should be here. I should be back in the bloody dream time. What am I oh. doing in this shit place? <laughs> oh, that sucks that they can't go back and forth as well. I know. Like, they would be pissed off. They'd be like, what the fuck am I doing here? I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> so the Hawkesbury River monster is kind of an aquatic lizard, much like the Loch Ness monster of Scotland. Uh, depictions of the creature liken it to a prehistoric pleosaur, extinct for 70 million years. Sightings report that it's between 7 and 24 metres long. That's quite a difference. That's Supposedly, mother- yeah. <laughs> Seven metres, fair enough, but 24. It supposedly has two sets of flippers and a lengthy swan-like neck and head. The monster was first heard of by settlers in the 1800s, although there is an Aboriginal rock art over three to four thousand years old in the area that describes the creature. That that intrigues me, the fact that they have put that on there four thousand years ago. The settlers were told stories by the Aboriginals of women and children, again, women and children being attacked by the Mulawonk or the Miriular. Apologies if I'm not pronouncing that right. Both of them Aboriginal names for the monster that lurks in the river, much like its Scottish cousin, us <laughs> rice or cousins, the Hawkesbury River monster has gained significant attention from the scientific world. Many hunters and cryptozoologists have spent decades trying to locate or catch the monster. There have been hundreds of reported sightings, so the odds are the monster hunters will, hunter, hunters will be scouring the area for many years to come. And then that brings me on to the <laughs> the mould juwank. <laughs> Sounds like you made that up. (laughs) I'm not. It's spelled M U L D J E W A N G K. (laughs) The Moldu Wank. (laughs) Like you very quietly whispered (laughs) 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 It's a massive it actually looks terrifying, this thing. So deep in the Murray River of South Australia, 
lurks a terrible race of creatures known as the Muldew Wank. Details on the creature vary. Some say that they are a race of merfolk. Others say that it's a single giant monster, but one thing is constant, you do not want to mess with them. Supposedly hiding under clumps of floating seaweed, the Muldew Wank destroy fishing nets and disturb those who are foolish enough to enter their territory. Well, some local el- elders claim that the Muldew Wank no longer exists. They still thrive in stories told to naughty children to keep them from playing by the river after dark. A lot of these creatures are sort of like to scare children away from like drowning and like danger. danger. Yeah. 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 And then I've got, oh, there's another one from the Dreamtime mythology, which I quite like the look of. It's a massive fat toad called oh. Tiddlick. <laughs> The reason I went ooh there is because in my head I was like, I'm a massive fat toad. (laughs) (laughs) So massive. (laughs) (laughs) Tiddalik is a character in Aboriginal Dreamtime mythology. It's not a creator being like the Dirawong or the Rainbow Serpent, but it still plays an important role in Aboriginal folklore. Although tales of the Tiddalink are widespread, they're actually all derived from the Aboriginal people of South Gripsland, Victoria. The Tiddalik is a water, is a giant water-holding frog that once drank all of the world's fresh water. Does that sound familiar to you, Mark? Yeah, I did that one. <laughs> yeah. When everyone, everything began to die first, the other creatures devised a plan to make Tiddalik laugh, thereby releasing all the water in his mouth. Many creatures tried to make him laugh, but all failed until Nabunnam the eel danced and twisted himself into knots before him. So he found that fucking hilarious. So then he released the water, refilling the world's lakes, swamps and rivers. While this restored water to the world, it also had the adverse effect of causing a massive environmental disaster. The ensuing flood resulted in many creatures drowning and being stranded on different islands. In modern times, the story has been cleaned up as to give it a happy ending. The Tiddalik has gone to, on to transcend its ar- Aboriginal roots by becoming a popular character in children's books. <laughs> Sounds like a dick, though. <laughs> 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 oh, the Tiddalik, he sounds like a dick. <laughs> He's like, it's like you know, you get the Beatrix Potter like stories with yeah. like, the rabbit yeah. and all that. He's like, like one of the baddies in it, where he's like, I'm just gonna be this naughty frog that drinks up all the water. Yeah. He's trying not to laugh. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, fuck you, you've made me laugh, but now you can all drown. He's a dick. <laughs> yeah, he's a wee dick. And then finally, there's the my, one of my favourites ever is the Yara Ma Yahahu. <laughs> it looks like a sort of punk rock toad creature whale thing with legs, so two legs and long arms. Sorry, I feel like that could also be a description of me. <laughs> toad creature whale thing with legs. <laughs> Not like suckers for like the end of his fingers as well. So, and it's only four feet tall, so it could be you, Mark. Not yep. that you're small or anything. <laughs> Almost four feet. So it measures in at four feet, and it sports bright red skin. The Yaramaya may, may not look much, like much, but in reality is one of the most fascinating creatures in all of legendary Australia. Much like the aforementioned drop bear, the Yaramaya, who is a carnivorous creature that lives in the trees and feeds on those unfortunate enough to pass below them. The difference is that the Yaramaya, who has one of the strangest methods of consuming its prey in all of folklore. 
So when a Yaramahiyaha spots its prey, it will jump down on top of them and suck most of its blood. It uses octopus-like suckers on the ends of its fingers and toes to hold on while it feeds. After the victim is sufficiently weakened but still alive from blood loss, the Yaramahiyaha will also swallow them whole. After falling asleep, the Yaramahiyaha, who it will then regurgitate its victim. Upon waking, they will swallow the victim again. The process of eat and regurgitate will continue over and over again until the victim, who is usually alive throughout the entire process, becomes a you, a new nyara ma nyaha who. Wait, what? It creates another one of itself. Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's almost like a weird vampire snake thing. Yeah. Fingers, but I mean, it's not really killing its victim. It's it's getting nutrients, but then it's like reproducing while it eats it's yeah, just, yeah, I, I mean like it a, doesn't, doesn't sound very pleasant experience sleep process being eaten swallowed and spat out again over and over no, at least it doesn't kill you yeah <laughs> it's so funny fun of them. yeah so then it carries on and on until like the whole world's peopled by <laughs> doesn't say how you stop them yeah hmm. well maybe <laughs> you could go to, to one of these creatures that I've looked at for advice on how to stop it. Because uh, so when I was looking at the idea that all the cryptids came out of the dream time, I found that there's also a belief in like Northern Australian Aboriginal culture, that there was two creatures that existed before anything came to earth from the dream time. So there was like already living beings here, which were the Mimi and the Mokoi. Although if you were wanting... They all have such cute names. I love them. Well, the Mimi are cute. They would be good to go to for advice. I wouldn't go to the Mokoi for advice. Oh. Like, you'll both like the Mimi and you'll hate the Mokoi, Leslie. Oh, okay. Um, I'll be the so, judge of that, though. <laughs> already existed on Earth before humans arrived, um, but they were, like, really, really helpful. I mean, humans first got to Earth. They taught us how to hunt. They taught us how to cook. They taught us how to make fire because they already ha- they'd already, like, harnessed fire. And they also taught us how to paint, which is where the idea of Dreamtime art comes from as well. So there's this idea that the that's the way the Mimi painted and they taught humans how to paint like that. Oh, they like record their memories of the Dreamtime uh, through that what? form of painting. Cute. Um, I, you won't like this about the Mimi, Leslie, but they are very cute. So they believe that the Mimi are really, really tall and really, really thin. They're so thin. <laughs> that they could snap in the wind. So they tend oh not to fall on windy days. Oh. And they still exist now, but humans don't see them very much because, well, one, we're not observant enough, and two, they're so thin that they can live in between cracks and rocks. So they oh. can in oh. any crack and any rock just kind of, like, folded up and standing back a bit. Oh. But, um, yeah, they're, like, really nice, helpful creatures. And then there's the Mokoi, um, and the Mokoi, so the uh, Aboriginal people of Northern Australia believe that most human deaths are caused by the Mokoi, um, and that deaths from natural causes in old age don't actually exist. It's all to do with the Mokoi. So when Bobby Bobby thought that he accidentally killed the men with the boomerang, actually it would have been the Mokoi's fault. Um so, oh, that's nice for Bobby Bobby, but it's uh, a shame that he doesn't, he doesn't know that. You know. 
Someone should tell. So the more the more Coyer really vicious. They hate human magic users. Uh, they think humans shouldn't be allowed to use magic because it's like as old as the earth. So only they and the Mimi should be allowed to use it. They hate all human children. If they see a human child on their own, on its own, they'll kill it. Um, they like to cause accidents and they carry every disease known to man. Um, including coronavirus. Including coronavirus is their fault. Oh, shit. All diseases are their fault. Um, and like you said about the bunyip, so exactly what they look like seems to vary massively from sort of Aboriginal people to Aboriginal people. But what they all agree on is that they're like really bony and really spindly. And they normally are depicted as having like dark green flesh. But other than that, what they actually look like varies massively. Like I saw something that looked quite insecty. I saw some that looked quite like, um, it looked almost like a kind of upturned like buffalo skull. Um, like mm. of it did. So they all looked quite different, but they were all bony and spindly and a sort of dark green colour. So they Sounds a bit like the skets, the Skeksis from the, the Dark Crystal. Yeah, <laughs> actually like, some of the images of it did look kind of like that. terrifying. Yeah, it sounds really scary. Mm. But I really yeah. wanted to meet me. I then looked into, although I couldn't find any, I was looking for stories of like people in modern times that claim to have met Mimis or come into contact with them, but I couldn't find anything, which was disappointing because I, I want to meet one. They sound great. I don't. No, no, no. Because they're really creepy, thin things. Oh. I've got a story. Um, it's not um, based on mythology, but I thought I'll just end the podcast with a real life um, legend. It's not a legend because it's true. Of and I don't think a lot of Australians know about this because it's a bit like you know when a place is colonised they want to sort of uh, yeah well no is they they want to cover up the sort of native uh, heroes and praise the white ones you know like so Ned Kelly everyone knows about him and he's a famous outlaw but not a lot of people know about Jandamara who was an outlaw who fought to save his country and people from colonisation or colonisation, which as Scottish people we can relate to because we're a colonised country ourselves and we had William Wallace who fought for our freedom and was basically, you know, a martyr. Um, so could, like a freedom fighter then. Yeah, a freedom fighter. But the interesting thing about him is that he originally worked for the, the baddies, I would say. <laughs> so he worked for the police. So it was more than 100 years ago. It's not that long ago, actually. Um, So 30 police officers went searching for an Aboriginal warrior feared by authorities across Western Australia. His name was Jandamara. He was from Banuba country, which was nestled in the remote landscapes of the Kimberley. Picturesque locations like the Winjana Gorge and Tunnel Creek. Um, now famous tourist attractions became the headquarters for a three-year guerrilla war. Uh, the story of bloodshed, betrayal, culture and country that emerged when Curious Kimberly was asked about the legend of Jandamara and why it's not more widely known. In primary schools across Australia, children are taught the legend of Ned Kelly, but Banuba kids in the Kimberley hear the legend of their ancestor Jandamara, an outlaw who fought to save their country and people from colonisation. Banuba elder Jimmy Dylan Andrews is a custodian of the legendary tale and has dedicated his life to sharing the story on his ancestral lands. 
It was here that my ancestor, Jandamura, was torn between two worlds, but ultimately fought for his people, he said. So the story of Jandamara is that he was born in the 1870s, a time when pastoralists and accompanying authorities were staking claim in Australia's northwest. When he was about 10 years old, he went to live on the Leonard River Pastoral Station with his mother. It was here where he learned skills in shooting, horse riding and shearing. But around 16 years old, the teenager returned to the Banuba, the Banuba people who were still living a traditional life on the country. Jandamara and fellow Banuba leader Elamara were captured by police, accused of killing sheep and imprisoned. Eventually, Jandamara returned to his people only to be banished after elders accused him of violating kinship law. To avoid retribution, he went to live at Lily Munlura Station, where he developed a strong friendship with a settler called Bill Richardson. They became very close friends. When Richardson joined the police force, Jandamara followed and was recruited as a tracker. Jandamara and Richardson worked together to capture Banuba people. So he was capturing his own people with a sky, using their ancient knowledge of the country to track down those in hiding. They were the most outstanding couple in the police force at that time. And many times Jandamara even saved Richardson's life because of the friendship they had. So it takes an abrupt turn in Jandamara's story when he and his his pal Richardson they captured 16 Banuba resistance fighters, including his once fellow prisoner, Elamara, and many of his own family. They were chained around a neck together, waiting for the ship to take them to Rottnest Island. Rottnest Island is famous now for the quokkas, the little cute oh, yeah. creatures that people get selfies with, but back then it was sort of like a prison island. So we said many Kimberley people went to the prison there, but none came back. In chains, they asked Jandamara how could he portray his people in his own family. Elamara would say to Jandamara, I raised you, I put you through Banuba law, and look what you've done to us. Now, there's a picture of some indigenous people being forced to work, and they've got actual chains around their neck, which is horrible. Like, I think back then, Aboriginals weren't even considered human. They were considered just as part of flora and fauna, just things. So, they weren't even... Yeah, basically, and they were all chained up and just treated absolutely, and their children were take, forcibly taken away and, and made to become sort of white, you know, like raised in... The, basically, what colonists do is to wipe out the previous people's culture. They did it to Scotland, whereas they're, they're still trying to do it now by f- forcing us to, like, put Union Jacks on everything and try to erase our culture. They, like, you know, when dark tartan was banned and like the highland way of life was completely banned and stuff and then replaced by sheep so it's a similar thing whereas they, they would take away aboriginal children and trying to raise their culture by bringing them up in the christian sort of world so what then happened is jan damara was like you listen to this and he was like i i don't know what to do because i'm torn now but he decided to defect so he shot his pal Richardson dead. He rejoined his people and he started leading a three-year resistance against the early settlers. The most famous battle took place in 1894 at Winjana Gorge between the Banuba and 30 police officers with Elmara killed and Jandamara badly injured. But the latter's recovery saw him gain a supernatural status among his enemies and the Banuba people. So Sarah, again, I'm comparing him to Wallace because Wallace used to 
um, com- people used to say things about Wallace like he was six foot, like seven foot tall, and he was massive, and he was like, you know, he had he had magic powers, killing <laughs> the English and stuff, and he could shoot fireballs from his eyes and stuff like that. So the same thing people thought about Jan de Manor because he had a he had a like a way of just appearing and disappearing, like he was he couldn't be found. Um, so the only way the police could try and capture him was to use someone like him against him. Police around the state feared they feared his shooting skills because his knowledge of the land made him an ideal insurgent fighter. He had magical powers only our people understand, Mr. Andrew said. Jan Damara was eventually killed at Tunnel Creek in 1897 by an Aboriginal tracker, Minko Mick, who was recruited by police to specifically counter the resistance leader. Tunnel Creek is a sacred site and remembered by us for the death of Jandamara, Mr. Andrea said. Jandamara's story is one of many of the violence between new European arrivals and Aboriginal people who resisted their occupation. The story has been passed down through generations of Banuba, becoming a book, a docudrama and a play at Sydney Opera House, but others have been lost. Um, so this guy, Mr. Andrews, who lives in this area, he spent years developing his tour to effectively tell the Jandamara story in little over an hour. His dream is to develop his tour into a thriving business so he can train and employ young Banuba people. He says, I want to create employment for our people, our country, long into the future. And although the story is part of Australia's bloodiest chapters, his message to visitors is one of understanding. Let's build our relationship and work together. What's in the past cannot be undone, but let's build a future together. So what do you think of the story of Jan Damara? I think it's quite sad. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, yeah, I liked it, but it's... Ultimately, he tried his best, but I think... I just don't get why you would get one of your own kind would betray you like that. Again, speaking of yeah. William Wallace, his lords betrayed him to the English for their gold. So I don't know, was it That's money or was it, was it what motivates? He, he was betraying. Yeah. Yeah, he betrayed them first as well. So but then he changed his mind. But then cold That's why it's weird because I think it's awful that the guy that like hunted him down what was his name something mick um um will you go back and look something like muncie mick Mick or something like that yeah i think it's bad that he betrayed him but then he could then have gone on and had a change of heart and i don't know yeah like a vicious cycle i don't know strange minko mick he was called grass and bastard (laughs) (laughs) minko the grass mick grasses get slapped yeah I'd like to see a movie about that, like, you know, like in the sort of form of Crocodile Dundee, The Adventures of Minko Mick. <laughs> <laughs> like The Mandalorian or something. <laughs> He's going to <laughs> He finds a little dreamtime creature. <laughs> I, I mean, so, especially since you said it's like it's The Mandalorian, so he betrayed yeah. the folk. Yeah, because he, he was a kind of bounty hunter, wasn't yeah. he, Minko Mick? He realises the error of his ways because yeah yeah he finds a baby dream time creature he has to look after it. And he wanders round the outback writing what once went wrong. And being helped by Bobby Bobby, but Bobby Bobby keeps Bobby getting Bobby. Yay. Yeah. yeah, Bobby Bobby has to make a show in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bobby Bobby sounds like a total Star Wars thing, doesn't it? So there's a whole dream time thing as well. Like I love it. I I could watch so much, um, so many stories, like so many like dramas about the dream time world. They would be making a really good animation. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I really enjoyed researching all of this, and I thought I wish they would make some sort of yeah, like animated children's series based on Dreamtime. There must be though. Like, I bet you there already is. Well, I would say the Dark Crystals a bit, a bit like that. Bit fucked up though. Yeah. But I bet there's like wee cute ones instead of like Australian kids watching Peppa Pig. They're actually watching like Bobby Bobby, and they're oh. like animals. <laughs> I hope so, because Peppa Pig's an absolute fuckhead. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Have you seen the clip where, is it like Peppa Pig's on the phone to her pal, the sheep, and the sheep says something like, oh, I got something nice today, and then Peppa Pig just hangs up on her? Have you seen the Scottish Peppa Pig? No. Yeah, like, like, oh my God. Like with the Scottish like voiceovers where Peppa Pig is the funniest thing in the face there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Dreamtime sounds better than Peppa Pig. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And it's got a good name, Dreamtime. I don't know, maybe the Aboriginals wouldn't be too happy about that, but I mean, it's spreading our culture about, so why not? There must be, like, Aborigine animators out there, like... Yeah, definitely, they should do it. Like the Masayaki of Japan. Yeah. The... So what what is going to be the next week's topic? I have a fun way to, to decide this. Okay. Everything that we've Ooh. like sort of vaguely mentioned that we've not covered yet, or random stuff that I've seen that I thought has been interesting, I've been making a list of it, and I've numbered everything that isn't a place because we did a place this week. Yeah. So if you pick a number between one and seven, it will randomly generate a topic for next week. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. Right. Well, then there is between me and Yasmin then, so I'm gonna pick five. Okay. Um. Well. Five is immortality. So when we were looking at vampirism, we were talking about like the possibility of other immortal creatures. And also right back at the start, when we looked at Lilith and Samael, the seducer, we all <laughs> talked about the possibility of immortal creatures. So next, Brilliant. can we look at immortal creatures? And immortality in general. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's quite interesting. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it opens up a whole load of possibilities. Like, would you want to be immortal yes. and stuff like that? You know, like philosophically. Do you believe your soul is immortal? Good, good question. Good question. But yeah, because if anyone's who's watched The Good Place, then I don't want to spoil it for you, but that that is that does come up. Is your soul immortal? And is it good? Is it worth it? You know, is heaven as good as it should be? And and oh, dude, there's so many questions and answers that we like, could discuss. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Um, right, just to uh, also just to let you know, I have interviewed one of my good friends, Nicola, who emigrated from East Kilbride, where I currently reside, to Melbourne five years ago. I thought it was three years ago, but it turns out it's five years ago, so much longer <laughs> than I thought. It makes me sad. I do miss her. But she um, emigrated to Melbourne, and I just thought I would just have a little chat with her about what that process was like and what it's like in general to move from Scotland to Australia and what it's like living there. So that's going to be a follow on it after this podcast ends. If you'd like to have a wee listen to that, just a wee bonus thing. Um, so hope you enjoy. And it's goodbye from me then. Or what did Australians say? They say good day. But I guess <laughs> they just say bye. See you later. <laughs> Mate. <Bye. laughs> Chiddle pep. No, they don't say chiddle pep. That's a palm thing. <laughs> Dirty palm. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> bastard. But why do they call us palms anyway? Is it because we eat apple? I don't understand. That's what I don't know. Yeah. 
Well, I look forward to talking about immortality and yeah, have a listen to the interview with um, myself and Nicola. Oh, and I want to mention that we have an official Twitter. So if anyone who's listening likes to or has a Twitter account and wants to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on and please comment and, you know, give us a follow and a like and and let us know what you think. Podcast is at podcast or Twitter Twitter page is at podcast underscore myth. So if you look up at podcast underscore myth and hit follow, then you'll find all the updates and you can interact and comment with us um, on anything that you've heard or any of the episodes that you particularly like. Just give us a buzz and one of us will respond. So, yeah, anyone else got anything to say? Just no, that's it. Cool. I love the... Bobby Bobby. <laughs> Mark loves the Bobby. I love the Bobby. Loves the Bobby. Bye. Mark loves the Bobby. <laughs> hey there, this is Leslie from Crystal Crystal Myth Podcast, and I'm here with my good friend Nicola Lothry, um, who resides in Melbourne, Australia, and she's here with me to talk about. Her life as an immigrant to Australia from Scotland. Hello, <laughs> or should I say, good day. Good day. Good day from down under. So when was it you moved to Australia? Um, it's actually coming up on five years now. So I moved out, emigrated February 2016. And how long was it before then? What What was the process of of actually moving to Australia, what was it like going through that? It was about, it was actually a couple of years planning because I think when I lived in Scotland, um, I remember talking about it for a couple of years. We went through the process of the applying for the visas and stuff. We really wanted to move to Sydney at first, but we could only get sponsor for Victoria. Uh, we went through the points process. So basically we just, um, we decided, went to the Immigration Expo, spoke to a few people and we decided to hire an immigration expert guy in London, and um, he did all the paperwork for us. So our, our visa was granted after about a year. Our visa was granted August 2015. So then we had that meant we had to be in the country by April 2016. And how did you feel about it all? Like, was it quite exciting or was it quite stressful? Uh, I didn't find it stressful. I was really excited about it. I was really excited about the idea of moving to a new country and kind of yeah. excited about the new opportunities and stuff. We we did have a bit of trouble at first trying to find somewhere to live. We ended up staying in this Airbnb for a while with this guy from Ohio until we could find a place to rent. Because it's, it's quite hard when you don't have any references. They're, they're right. quite funny about it. But we eventually found a really nice place um, near the beach. So And we've been living here for four and a half years now and we love it. So that's the same place that where you are now then? You've been living there for four years and then I suppose you'd be wanting to buy somewhere eventually. Yeah, I, I don't remember I don't remember if I told you, but we did actually buy land. Oh, no, you didn't? Yeah, property is pretty expensive out here. That was one of the major culture shocks for me. Considering there's so much land in Australia, you'd think it would be cheaper, but no, it's very expensive. It worked out better for us to actually buy land and build a house on it. Just an hour outside of Melbourne, got a bit of land now. How big are we talking, like, in terms of land? Like, what kind of a house can you build on it? And I would even know, like, how do you even design a house? Or do you just pick one at a catwalk? 
<laughs> that's pretty much how it works we just uh well i saw the ad on facebook and um uh, i sent the email away a guy phoned me up wrote to him and um he's like oh yeah we can help you we've got all these houses you can choose from he sent us the brochure so we literally just we wanted a double story house it's more popular to build single stories here but they, you like can get yeah like a bungalow yeah. we just picked the house from the catalogue our piece of land is like 300 square meters big whatever that looks like yeah it's just, it's just like a it's like a mud field right now but yeah yeah so we picked the house from the catalogue and um, then they're going to be building it this year so this area that you picked is it in a nice area or is it going to be surrounded by other building sites or? well right now it's open fields it's it's like um it's just like countryside right now this it's near farms but it's like it's like an up-and-coming housing estate and they're building like shops, shopping centres and like, schools and stuff down there. So it's going to be a nice community area. It's going to be really built up by the time we get there, hopefully. Is there going to be um, like loads of Australian critters hanging about this place? <laughs> there could be. <laughs> there could be. Crocodiles and bush babies. I don't know about crocodiles. Might get the odd yeah, spider. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Melbourne's, Melbourne's probably not got a lot of crocodiles in it. <laughs> no, you don't get crocodiles down yeah. in Melbourne. Thank goodness. I was watching a program recently, which is why I wanted. It's not just. It's not just because you live in Australia, Nicola, but it does get off an idea about the podcast. Is because I mean, David and I, we've been watching Gregory Jones, who's like you know the comedian. I don't know if you know him. Um, he had a, pro, a travel program on ITV3 where he travelled across Australia by train, which oh. used to be a popular thing to do. Have you ever thought about doing that? Well, there's a train line you can get from South Australia that goes right up to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes right through, which seems to be quite popular. But I've driven, I've driven up to the border of New South Wales, and once you really mm-hmm. get out into like bush, they call it. Yeah. It's it's nothing really. It's just yeah. Because when he was like, on the train, it was all flat. Like yeah, there's nothing to see. Australia just live in the coast, don't they? Because that's the only kind of habitable place you can live. So when you moved over with Adam and you settled into your flat, what were the things? Well, first of all, what were your expectations of what life in Australia would be like? Was it from watching soaps? <laughs> well, <laughs> I watched I watched Location Location. But <laughs> um, I don't really I don't really know what to expect. I think I expected it to be more like a holiday. Because like, we were moving close to the beach and stuff, but really I came here and I was, I was like, well, I have to find a job now, and yep. I have to kind of find somewhere to live, and I can't just be on holiday forever. So when you first move to, move here, it's kind of like moving to a country with a Scottish accent. That's all you get asked. That's the first thing you get asked everywhere I go. I still get it. Where are you from? What what visa are you on? Why did you move here? It's the typical question. Some of the first, some of the challenges at first. Um, were just like trying to make friends so I did a few like courses and stuff tried to meet people and have you made yeah, yeah I've, I've made a few new friends um are they Australian or are they all expats <laughs> they're all they're all expats <laughs> well most of our well most of our good friends are from somewhere else like my one of my best friends is from Chile we're friends with a few Kiwis and some Canadians like that's the thing about Melbourne, it's so cultured, everyone's from somewhere else. Yeah, I think there is a big sort of immigrate, a lot of immigrants, I mean Australia, like America, is probably just the majority made up of immigrants, really. It's difficult, it's a funny country, like, I don't know, like, 
what would you see as like sort of Australian culture, the Aboriginals or like sort of mm. the, the sort of white? Well, I would say thing? Australian culture is Aboriginal, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid I don't really know too much about that. Yeah. Um, because, well, obviously I didn't go to school here, but. And do they have like different, I don't know, because you're in Melbourne, but I don't yeah. know how many. Um, Australian people you've interacted with, but do you do they have regional accents in Australia? Like we have different regional accents in Scotland. Well, that's one thing that amazed his Australians. Um, they they're amazed at the fact. That's one thing that amazes Australians: the fact uh, that in Britain you can drive forty kilometres and the accent changes. They're like that blows their minds. But okay. really, the you get maybe there's not really a difference in Australian accents or dialects really there's either there's bogan or there's australian to me like bogan is like um more rough sounding that's like what they call their neds <laughs> the Ned. are, are like hillbillies in america yeah. they have bogans here <laughs> even though we don't really have hillbillies in scotland or the uk because it's a smaller country really well we've got chifters i suppose chifters. yeah i guess so Shag. <laughs> no, from, I mean, I suppose there's lots of sheep shags in Australia. I mean, there's like massive sheep farms over there. But might be. I mean, New Zealand has New Zealand has more sheep than oh, people. So. Yeah. You could talk about uh, John Batman, who was the founder of Melbourne. So is Melbourne named after like Lord Melbourne, or was it like this guy you're talking about that decides called Melbourne? Where does the name come from? Do you know? Well, it was originally. So Melbourne was originally called Batmania. Batmania? <laughs> yeah, Batmania? I, I'm on. I know, because it was founded by John Batman. I'm on the Wikipedia page right now. Robin. F- foundation, foundation of Melbourne. <laughs> it didn't have a companion Robin, I'm afraid. So how was Melbourne called Melbourne? I should know this. So yeah, he, we founded the current site of Melbourne, uh, noted in his diary on 8th of June, 1835. Uh, and he declared the land Batmania. Batmania, where there are loads of. <laughs> oh no, I was going to say where there are loads of bats, but he's called Batman, so yeah, of course yeah. name it after themselves. But you do Why get lots you? of bats here at night. It's like if you discovered somewhere and thought, right, I'm going to call this Gamble Town <laughs> <laughs> or Lockery Town, but I wouldn't. If I were you, I'd just use my like my maid. I'll look up the origins of the name. So, like, when do you feel settled then in Australia? Well, yes, I do feel I feel settled where I am. The I'm not against the idea of moving back to Scotland one day because I do get really homesick. Like I was saying before, whenever it's it's whenever I go out and meet new people, I'm always kind of I feel like I'm always looked at looked to like a, a traveller because you know I stand out. I've got an accent, so they always assume they always give me the question right away. Oh, where are you from? Uh, so I, I'm I'm quite a shy person. I just like to blend in. But in your answer to why Melbourne is called Melbourne, in 1837, a small settlement on the banks of the Yarra River in Australia needed a name. Queen Victoria, after whom the state of Victoria is named, decided that it would be named Melbourne. This was an honour for the second Viscount Melbourne, British Prime Minister and the political mem- mentor to the young queen. So it was named... Oh, yeah, <laughs> she fancies him. She, um, this is, I'm just going by, like, you know, that program. 
bloody Victoria or whatever it's called on ITV. Yeah, she fancied him. And he was like her mentor when she was like really young before she like when she first became queen. Because I think she was only like a teenager still. She was like 19 or something. And Lord mm-hmm. Melbourne was the prime minister and like he would advise her. And yeah, there was a rumour that they were banging. Melbourne is named after Queen Victoria's fancy man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was by like a really hot actor that I fancy in the crown. Not the crown, it's called Victoria with um, uh, Jenna Coleman, who was Doctor Who's companion, like Peter Capaldi's companion. Oh yeah. I, I guess it doesn't really sound that much. That well, it's a massive country, so there's loads to explore. Mm. And it's not. I guess for you, it's not like you can just jump on a plane and go like anywhere in Europe, like you could when you're in Scotland. So I think the yeah. next holiday for you would be like the like Japan or sort of like the Thailand or those kind of islands. Well, you know, like Brit or Tonga. Yeah, but like um, you know, like Brits like to go on holiday to Spain, like Mallorca, yeah. Benidorm. Uh, here it's Bali. Everyone goes to Bali, or it's it's in Indonesia, yeah. or they'll go to like Thailand. That's uh-huh. the equivalent. To vacation at home more, or is that just old old duffers? Well, people that live people that live in Melbourne might go on a holiday to um, the north, like the Queensland, yeah. to escape the winter, the harsh the harsh Melbourne winter that we get. <laughs> right, like your harsh. We usually do that. Our summer, like too. Yeah, pretty much. I know. I remember laughing when I first moved here and it was 12 degrees and they were going, oh, Nicola, it's freezing. Why have you not got a jumper on? I'm like, it's 12 degrees. It's not that cold. Yeah, I think I've acclimatised a bit. Yeah. I can't say I'm used to the the heat, though. When it gets above 30, that's it. I can't be outside. My skin can't take it. I can't take it. <laughs> so you've got a lovely cat. How does your cat cope? Oh, she copes fine. Yeah, she's a black cat. She copes fine. I think cats like the heat anyway. Yeah, she's she's okay. If she's hot, she'll just like slump on the floor. You got like a tiled floor that your cat can just lie on. Then it's nice and cool for her. Uh, we don't have tiles. We have no? um like it's like laminate flooring. Oh I right. Suppose. And do you put a shrimp on the Barbie? <laughs> <laughs> I've never put a shrimp on the Barbie. I hate shrimp anyway. But. <laughs> See if I ever fly out to Australia, like the flight alone, like kind of freaks me out how long it is. But if I ever fly out, I do want a barbecue. So you have to yeah. have a barbie. Oh yeah, you have to have a barbecue. Yeah. Well, you could chuck well, a shrimp on the barbie if you want. You could chuck a. If you ever tried surfing. I've never tried surfing. No. Whatever Australian cliches are there? Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> yeah, sharks, spiders. I mean, I've seen a few big huntsmen's. They are terrifying. And did he get in your house, in your flat? Well, because our apartment is a new build, we haven't, thankfully, we haven't seen many big ones. And we're in the city as well. We're in quite a built-up suburb area. So, thankfully, go, we haven't seen. When you go <laughs> but see, the, out to the, you know, like the countryside or the coastline, yep. where it's a bit more open, are you mm. more aware of what, there might be yeah. like hiding like snakes or like yeah. things like that well whenever i've went a trip to the countryside that's when i felt i'm in australia because um you'll see kangaroos the last trip i went on in christmas there we saw two snakes we went we oh. went a little went on a little trail there was no one else there 
to this big empty beach. It was beautiful. On the way there, I walked past a tiny snake. And um, my friend was like, do you realise you just walked past a tiny tiger snake? And I was like, I didn't even notice it. And on the way back, the, some bushes were shaking. And I thought, oh, maybe it's a kangaroo or a wombat. Turns out it was a, it was a big, it was a, it was a big snake, and it poked its head out to look at us. And uh, um, Gemma was like, she's from New Zealand, so she, I guess she's more used to seeing snakes. She's like, oh, it's a big tiger snake. Uh, and I was like, let's get the hell away from it then. Oh my god. Because <laughs> this thing was shaking the bushes. I thought it seems aggressive. Let's go. <laughs> um, and we took the cat with us, and she spotted a big spider. And um, so we just caught the spider in a cup this thing was aggressive i thought we'd get that out when i'm sleeping with that in here what freaks me out like i've seen that like the amount of jellyfish that can kill you in australia like the mm. mock jellyfish is the most poisonous it's the most but, yeah but at least that's big and you can see it the one that kind of i learned about that kind of freaks me out is the um the Irukandji jellyfish if you heard of them and they're like tiny they're about the size of your thumb thumbnail mm. And if you get stung from it, it's like the most, most one of the most painful like things ever. Like you create heart attacks and everything. It's yeah, wouldn't want to wouldn't want to go near one of those. Oh, they give you like a, it causes an impending sense of doom. That's how bad it is. If you get oh yeah, it's tiny. Yeah, they're smaller than the size of your thumb. Yeah. So like thought of like something that small that you wouldn't be able to see is like I think on um, most coastlines in Australia they do like have people that go out and 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 look for these things so that they don't sting people. But yeah, I think the odd one gets through. Well, most of the dangerous stuff is in the north anyway. Right. So that's what I keep telling that, myself. <laughs> is that in the middle or the south or where? Where? Is is what? Sorry. Whereabouts is Melbourne in Australia? Oh, Melbourne is far to the south, near um, Tasmania. So it's almost at the most southern point. The most southern point of Australia is in Victoria. So it's really south. So, like, what else can I say? Like, I know you said you wanted to move to Sydney, but then I think Sydney's, like, really expensive. Like, how, when you compare, like, how expensive things are, where in East Coast in Scotland, to how expensive things are in Australia. What's it like in terms of like cost of living in Australia? The cost of living is higher here. The wages are also much higher. And when I was young and living in Scotland, I would do a job search for jobs in Glasgow and nothing great would come up. Whereas when I moved here, you do a job search, there's there's hundreds of jobs. And yeah, the pay is just much better. So although the cost of living is very high, the wages do make up for it. And I think the rent is sky high as well. But it's probably what attracts a lot of people to emigrate to Australia because of the sort of better standard of living, maybe the higher wages and the, the, there's more jobs available. But it's yeah. a difficult process to actually get there because of their point system. It's not like you can just waltz in and try and stay there. Like how yeah. there are a lot of backpackers or whoever try and do that. Well, I think they've got systems to try and find those people out. Like mm -hmm. I, we were, we were lucky to get our permanent residency. It wasn't until we moved here I realised how lucky we were to have right. to have that. Because, like I was saying about my friends from Chile, they don't have their permanent residency and they just had to move to Sydney to in order to get the points. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but they have to move to Sydney because their time has ran out in Melbourne to make up the points to apply for the permanent residency. They need to move to a different city. Yeah, they need to move to a different state. So they're doing that. 
So if that runs out, then they need to then move to a different state and then so on and so on, or eventually will they get deported? Oh, I hope not. Oh, um, I'm probably not the best at explaining this in right. the best way. Don't worry. But, just say you don't but yeah, it's just. It, yeah, I don't really, I don't really know the ins and outs of visa process, but that's basically what they're having to do now. They really want to live in Melbourne, yeah. and it sucks for them. They have to move to Sydney because of the, the visa. Kind of like in Australia, what do you prefer? Do you prefer the city life, or would you prefer to live sort of near the bush or like in the country, near nature? I would prefer to live near nature, but uh. because we're we're in Australia, so you've got the fires to kind of worry about oh yeah that's um, and all the kind of all the beasties as well but the melbourne, countryside... um, is melbourne affected by forest fires because it's city i don't or it, where when you were there and all these forest fires were going on like mm. beginning of last year did that affect your weather did it like did you see any of that um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was what was that like? It was awful because it was about a week straight. The fires were the fires were not that far from us. Well, I say not far. It was maybe three hours drive down at um, Gippsland. The fires were right down to there. So I was going to work every day in smog. The air just wouldn't clear, and it was horrible. You couldn't. You felt like you couldn't get a breath. Oh, that's awful. I've got pictures of it. The, the air was like thick, thick, dirty, smoky fog. For about a week straight. I'll share them. Yeah. Because um, I've seen pictures of like, it looks like the sky is just pink, like red. Mm. And, then, and yeah, it's that's, apocalyptic. It's a shame that's what it was like. In that. I know. I feel bad for the animals, mostly. <laughs> well, yeah. There was, the, the <laughs> the this time last year as well, we had like, it was a freak uh, storm. We had like, um, we had like, dirt rain dirt it was rain? strange yeah it was like i was in work and then i looked outside and the city was just red so it was like a storm that had blown down the red dirt from the middle of australia and everything all the cars the buildings were coated with this red dirt and you can still see it now yeah so it's blown it down so weird things like that have happened it sounds like it sounds like it's like a normal sort of life but interesting like it would be weird for me for at first I think but then you suppose you would just get used to it wouldn't you just get used to the environment you're you're living in yeah and yeah do you think you would ever develop a sort of Australian accent later on when you live there or you're like <laughs> well I don't think I don't think my accent has changed much in five years no I don't think I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be changing now <laughs> have any children they'll have little Aussie accents they would do yeah <laughs> maybe at first they'll start speaking Scottish and then gradually when they go to school and stuff like that they'll just turn into little Aussie <laughs> you just need to keep them um, like up to speed on Scottish um, Scottish vernacular and slang yeah I'd be like cor- correcting their grammar okay. <laughs> It's it's not yes, it's I. It's I. <laughs> Even Australia, like it's like the, my first concept, like knowledge of Australia was when my mum would watch Neighbours and yeah. the early eighties, and then Home and Away would come on, and that's what I thought Australia would be like. You know, like girls with their little <laughs> um, played school girl outfits on, like school uniforms and. I just thought, that's like, what, oh, they all live by the, the uniforms. Uniforms are like that. Yeah. Neighbours is 
this filmed in Melbourne or is it? Well, that's what I thought too, and I watched a lot of Steve Irwin. Yeah, oh yeah, Steve Irwin. It's filmed in Melbourne. You can visit the neighbourhood. Have you been to them too? Oh, I haven't actually been to any of the northern states at all. I'm hoping to. See, that's something you can do. Yeah, and would you drive there? Yeah. Take flights or or get the train like a few stones down. No, I think we'd we'd get a plane. We'd take a plane there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get yeah a place. I feel like Australia is sort of behind most places in terms of fashion, or is that just something people might think? Well, I think that, that was definitely the case maybe up to until 10 years ago, before yeah. the internet really right. um, kind of showed them the rest of the world, really. Um, but I would say Australia is more forward-thinking um, in terms of business. And, and what like, are just care like in Australia? Well, it's like it's kind of half half you pay and half the government pays. So, for example, when you go to the doctors, it's like eighty dollars for one appointment, and then the government will give you back forty dollars, and then you pay forty dollars to see the doctor and prescriptions you have to pay for. Yeah, but like I, that that if, would like I'm too used to getting everything for free. For free, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's what you have to have. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you have to have ambulance cover as well because if you phone an ambulance and you don't have cover, you'll get a bill for like a thousand dollars. So you have to make sure you have ambulance cover. But anything, anything emergency related, dentists, uh, you have to pay just out of the pocket. Really expensive. They don't quite. It's not quite as severe as the sort of US Medicare system, but no, like, and but it isn't like his ideal is sort of like the socialist sort of like NHS style. Yeah. One thing I will say is I've really been impressed with the health system here because I'm just comparing it to Scotland um, Uh because I know before trying to get a doctor's appointment is a nightmare, whereas you could just call up in the afternoon and they say, oh, yeah, I can fit you in half an hour. Uh, Okay, sure, pop down. Yeah, maybe that's because you do have to pay for it so not everyone's taking the absolute piss out of it you know like yeah oh, well, just take it for granted they actually need to think about well do i really need to see the doctor do i really need to pay like yeah. 40 dollars when there might not be anything wrong with me so i suppose in that way then yeah it's not really much about it may not be much about profit it might just be about sort of like trying to mm. stop people overloading the healthcare system yeah. Yeah, well, you do get bulk bills here as well. So if you're on a lower income, you can actually get it for free. You just need to go to oh, a bulk bill doctor. Because sometimes I've, I've went to a couple of different doctors and I've noticed sometimes they charge me different amounts depending on which doctor I get. Sometimes they've bulk billed me and I've stood waiting to pay and they've like, oh, no, you're fine. And then other times they've charged me a bit more. So I really don't know. But all in all, I would say the health system is very good over here. Okay, well, just to finish off this little interview, <laughs> what is your favourite thing? What's your favourite thing about living in Australia? My favourite thing about living in Australia is less rain, more sunshine. I like friends I've made. People have a good, positive, happy outlook. Melbourne is a really diverse, cultured city, so you never know who you're going to meet. You're going to meet someone with an interesting backstory. It's just a really interesting, fun place to live. Melbourne is anyway. And is there any sort of things that you don't like about living in Australia? I don't like being questioned. 
about my <laughs> accent a lot. <laughs> I thought you just you don't like being questioned in general. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't like being interrogated. Okay. I feel like when I first meet someone, I want to get to know them. I don't want to. When I was living in Scotland, if I met someone I know they're a foreigner, I wouldn't immediately say, "Oh, where are you from? How did you yeah. get to this country?" Do you know what I mean? Well, maybe one day I'll go over there. Yeah, you you would have a place to stay. Come stay with me. <laughs> I'll show you the sites. <laughs> yeah. Your big swimming pool, you're gonna get a pool? Yeah, maybe. We can't, we're allowed to build a pool, we've got a permit to build a pool, so. Just yeah. like imagining, I'm building your house for you in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, the plans are already done, so. Brilliant. Oh, how long do you think that'll take then? What, how long will it take to, to complete? Well, the land title's in August, uh, so maybe it might take four or five months to build the house if there's no delays so, so it, we could be in it this time next year it was worth all the you know the hassle of getting there yeah I know you, you're probably saying like I don't know you're building a house and everything you're probably going to settle there I don't know whether why you would want to give that up and come back here I can understand <laughs> be like homesick I mean I had relatives like my mum's side English relatives who hmm. moved to Australia I don't know exactly I don't know whether it's Melbourne where they went but they had grandchildren over there, like their sons moved mm. to Australia and they decided to emigrate. And they, even as much as they loved their grandkids, they just couldn't, they just couldn't get settled and they just missed England too much and just had to come back. Well, so, lots of people have done it. Like we can, we can live in our house for a few years, maybe rent it out if we do decide to move back. Yeah, you could do that. And I, I would love, to, <laughs> I'm selfish because I miss you and I'd love for you to come back, but I'd love <laughs> you to be happy. And yeah. you know, if you're happy in Australia, then that's fair enough. It is really far away, but thank fuck we've got the internet because then I can just speak to you, like, you know, across exactly. the world. <laughs> it's so much easier with Skype. Yeah. It's not It's not like 40 years ago and you'd, you'd send a letter and it would take... Months to arrive and. I mean, I see. I received a lovely letter from yourself recently, and I I saw the date of it when you wrote it, and it was like the tenth of December, and I received it in like January. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I might have wrote that. I started writing the letter on the tenth of December, but I maybe didn't post it for another week. I think that's what I did. (laughs) I thought, right, I'm gonna send you a letter back. It's like in two cards, but. Um, I will see how long it takes. I put the date on it of when I sent it, so you can tell me how long it took to get. Okay. There. I went okay. to the post office and I just said to the woman, "Can you send us to Australia, please?" And she's like, "I okay, that's two pound fifty. And I was like, well, <laughs> "Do you not want me? Is there not any other like?" I thought I felt forms. Like, <laughs> no, I felt like saying, "Well, is there not a first class, second class, or airmail or whatever?" It's just send us to Australia. I okay then. Yeah, that's all it is. A stamp. I think it's different if you're sending parcels. They want to know what's in it and stuff for customs. Yeah, I've sent stuff to like Florida for my pal Nikki, like sending her like bags, tea bags and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then you have to fill out a wee declaration form and tell them what's inside it. Because I guess like I've seen the airport things for Australia. Obviously, they're really strict about. They don't want certain things coming in and infecting yeah. the environment, like that might destroy like plants or animals or things like that yeah. like I mean it's bad enough when they introduced rabbits to Australia and they overran everything they had <laughs> to kill them off and invent a disease to kill them because they were just 
destroying <laughs> <laughs> and it happens a lot in the countries I think like they introduce things that aren't native to the place and then it just like I think in Hawaii they're not allowed any snakes because or they, they hunt snakes because there shouldn't be any snakes in Hawaii but if any snakes get in they have to get them because it'll actually decimate the, the animal life there yeah one little change can really mm-hmm. destruct the ecosystem um, yeah. right, I'm just going to wrap this up now. <laughs> okay. Well, it was really good. And you know what? If you ever want to join us on any of our podcasts, then maybe difficult with the time, but the timing of it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, um, let me know any upcoming topics, and if there's anything I feel like I could put an input into, if this works out okay, maybe I could do a little segment again. Yeah. I mean, if there's um, anything like you're interested in or you want us to talk about, then just let us know. Okay, I'll let you know. I'll post it on your Facebook page. Yeah, or Twitter, whatever. Yeah. I've got an official twi- um, Twitter page, which is um, Crystal Myth. Crystal Myth Podcast? Myth, <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's at myth underscore podcast. Okay. Thanks yeah. very much for joining us, and um, hopefully that might inspire people to visit Australia. It might not. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Bye then. Okay, bye. Crystal Myth.